Welcome to the Frogcast. Hopefully your anxiety has gone down a little bit. The Frogs had a bye week and we were nervous. Luckily, they went to West Lafayette into the heart of Big Ten country. The Frogs get a 34-13 win over the Purdue Boilermakers. Dominant in almost every element of the game. Came out a little slow, but when things got rolling, things got rolling. TCU is 2-0. They are getting ready to host SMU. Frogs ranked 25th in the nation in the AP poll. Looks like we got a showdown for the Iron Skillet in Fort Worth this Saturday afternoon. As always, I have my partners in crime, Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern. Men, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Jeff. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. I feel a lot better right now than I did uh, about 6.45 yesterday. So I'm I'm doing all right. How about yourself, Daniel? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. I had a few, uh, few nerves early on, and... Um, and then I rewatched it today and feel still feel pretty good about it, about, you know, overall. Well, the Frogs got a win, uh, and perhaps more importantly for you, Daniel, they covered. So the Frogs were able to get a double win. Good teams win, great teams cover. So the Frogs win 34-13. There were a lot of things to break down in this game. We're going to go uh, do a deep dive through a lot of what happened on the field, what that might tell us going forward on the field and off the field. But let's just start with what is the obvious storyline out of this game, which is the running game. The Frogs rack it up on the ground. Offensive line played well. Shewo and Darius both had over 100 yards. They were controlling the line of scrimmage, and as the game went on, you could just tell that TCU was stronger up front. Jeremy, when you look at the ground game from the last night at Purdue, well, you're probably listening to this on a Monday, from Saturday night in Purdue, this is the best ground game that you've seen from TCU since when? When's the last time you saw something like this from the Horn Frogs on the ground? Man, to be honest, for two running backs to have that kind of yards, we all – I think 2015 was the last time TCU had two people go over 100 yards, uh, both as running backs. I, I was trying to think if Kyle Hicks and Aaron Green ever did that, and I don't think they did, but – No, man, I think Boykin, to, Boykin and Aaron Green at K-State in 2015. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah that, that's what I yeah, found. Yeah, they both had a lot of yards, and I was at that game. That was a fun game to watch. It man, to be honest, I think you have to go all the way back to the Lante Hobbs and Robert Merrill era, and, and maybe even uh, Aaron Brown and Joseph Turner. Maybe, and I, but I don't even I don't even think those guys had uh, a game to where they both rushed for over 100 yards, and, and really Darius almost had 200 yards. So it was, it, I, I can honestly say, in my 15 years covering the team, it, it was the best running back performance I've ever seen for two guys. We are reaching a long way back to get names like Robert Merrill and uh, uh, Lante Hobbs. Lante Hobbs. I almost said Ladante Hobbs, but Lante Hobbs. That's Conference USA Day. That's the team that went to the Liberty Bowl and beat Colorado State. That's how far back you have to go in order to remember. This. I, I, I thought you were going to say Ricky Madison. <laughs> hey, man, that was a long time ago. Hey, do you remember Lante Hobbs when, when they played Memphis when he was a true freshman? They just kept riding the young kid and – they they handed him the ball, I guarantee, at least 10 times on that last drive, and TCU scored going into the uh, north end zone, and then melee broke loose. Man, is that, TCU players were fighting each other. Is that uh, when Aaron Schobel was under the pile just beating, 
beating the living snot out of somebody. Yeah. I remember that and, game. Man, yeah. I've just seen helmets flying, helmets going through the air. And <laughs> they were used as weapons. But back on track here, that's that's what I remember about Lonnie Hey, Hobbs hey, hey living here in Memphis, freshman. that was on brand. That was on hey, brand. Hey, someone's listening right now saying, man, I remember that game. I remember being at that game and seeing that. That's crazy. That was you a long be a, time ago. You got to be a man a of a long time ago. That was 02. You have to be a man yeah. of a certain age to remember that. Yes, uh-huh. that's right. You have to remember when TCU, when we got to a bowl game, it was ela- we were elated. So, <laughs> all right, back on topic here. That is, that is the best ground game that I have in memory because, you know, they obviously were able to utilize the speed of Darius Anderson, his ability to cut back, the offensive line. You know, I don't like Matt Millen a whole lot, but I thought he did a pretty good job on TV breaking down what the offensive line was trying to do. And when Darius would cut back, his his wheels were, were just – he was too fast for for a Big Ten defense like that. And then when you start to drop the hammer with Shea Alonalua, it, it, it was the yards after contact. I want to go back and see what that was because – there was the first guy that would arm tackle. There was the second guy that would grab and hold on and then hope that the third and the fourth guy would get there before he drug him to a first down. That was a heck of a running game. That, w- that was the most impressive thing. I, I mean, you give credit where credit is due for the offensive line playing the way they did. They they created some really good running lanes. But, man, every time Darius and Shea got their hands on the ball, they just ran with reckless abandon. They were running as hard as I've ever seen them run. They, they didn't go down with one guy tackling them. They were just – Plowing guys, there's a couple runs. I think Darius had a nine-yard run where he just basically spun off guys, lowered his head, and, and he wasn't going to be taken down. There was one play where they had him in the backfield four yards deep for a loss, and he breaks the tackle and ends up getting like six or seven yards. But it was that kind of night for Darius and, and Shawo, and, and it's really good when you can go back even to last year. You see Shawo have a game against a pretty good Cal uh, rush defense uh, in the cheese it Bowl, rushes for 194 yards. Then they come out, and, and Darius shows what he still got, and that's something that we've heard from Coach Patterson the last few weeks about how Darius looks faster than than what he's ever been since he's been on campus. And Coach P even said after the game, he's running like he did when he was a sophomore. So that's very promising. And in, in, in a night where, Jeff, you said this, and, and we've talked about it because it was one of our most favorite quotes from uh, Coach Looper's, we want to run the football even when the opponents know we're going to run the football. And that's what they did last night. They, Purdue didn't have an answer for them, and it was really good to see the offensive line and, and, and more importantly, the running backs run the way they did. Yeah, they were able to run the ball when everybody knew they were going to run the ball. And by the time you got into the second half, I mean, there was I – don't, I don't care what the formation was. You just knew they were going to run the ball. And so when it was the pass, it was – you know, it was like when Texas Tech would uh, run the option. You're just like, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> so I was really glad to see the offensive line assert themselves. I know that this is not the sexiest way to win games, but it is the asset and the strength that this team has. We have two NFL running backs in the backfield. Both those guys are going to carry the carry the rock on Sundays. And you got Lucas Niang up there and some other people that, that really have stepped up an offensive line. I want to give some props here. I thought Davis, David Basalami played really well. I thought that Anthony McKinney played pretty well. I thought that, um, uh, what's the center's name? McMillan played really well. Yeah. I thought that those guys really asserted themselves well on the offensive line and uh, and were able to bl- run block when everybody knew they were going to run block. It's one thing for the to, to be able to get to the linebacker and run hard when you know that everybody, everybody knows you're going to run. But when you got a D tackle and a DN and they know what the play is and you can still assert yourself – 
that is a sign of a strong football team. We're going to talk about the pass game, or, or maybe we don't even want to talk about it in a second. But there's no denying the strength that this team has in being able to line up and run the ball out of multiple sets, which I think is going to be a great asset when they get into Big 12 play. Yeah, the the guys that really impressed me after rewatching the game today was uh, Cordell and, and David Bolasomi. He it, we, we heard how good he was performing in fall camp and, and coach Patterson kept talking about how good he's been playing. And he really didn't show a lot against Pine Bluff, but last night he had some tremendous blocks and really had some good blocks downfield that kept the running backs uh, able to stay you know upright and not get tackled. So those two guys, I think as long as they're playing good at left and right guard, they're going to have a lot of success running the football. And they did, Anthony did really well. Uh, uh, Lucas did really well on the edge. They did a really good job running on Purdue's defensive ends. I, I thought it was uh, just really, really impressive to sit there and watch a clinic, basically. Because like you said, Purdue knew they were going to run the football, and they, they just couldn't do anything about it. The funny thing about it was I went back and watched, and I'm sitting there watching the game, and it's like, man, they, they have not thrown a pass in a long, long time. The last pass I think they tried to attempt was at the eight-minute mark in the third quarter when uh, Tavalence Hunt dropped the pass. And their last completion came in the 8-12 mark when Max hit uh, uh, Aldontre Davis for that 22-yard touchdown. And then the very next possessions when they tried that, Purdue tried that flea flicker and Jeff got the interception. And then they threw two passes and, and a couple more drops. And I think that's the last time they went th- to the air because they just knew they weren't going to have any, any, uh, uh, good plays coming from from Max throwing the football. They're really the receivers catching the football. You know, I just want to go back and pick up one thing you said about. Uh, I know I'm butchering his last name, David Basalami. Tell Bolisomi. me how to say his last name, right? Bolasomi. Bolasomi. Yeah. Bolasomi. He played at Denton Ryan, I believe, or one of the Denton schools. Yeah, he is. He Denton never played. Yeah, he never played until his senior year. His junior year of high school, he's playing JV uh-huh. because he transferred in. And so I remember you, – you're the one that wrote this story long before we ever did the Frogcast. He was offered after about six games of playing varsity football at Denton Ryan when he was on no one's radar of September 1st of that year. And so you talk about uh, Coach Patterson's ability to develop – that's an opportunity where they were able to identify because that guy's a power five offensive lineman and he got in and he redshirted and he worked hard and he developed as a football player. This isn't a kid that everybody had their eye on after his sophomore year at four camps across the state. They had to find this guy. And uh, needless to say, that was a, that was a huge recruiting win. Cause I can, I guarantee you Baylor tech, Texas, Oklahoma state, all had much more high, highly rated offensive linemen in that class that aren't doing squat or have, or have transferred out. And there's David up there, show, you know, going on the road and just just you know moving people in order to have a record, a near record setting run game for TCU. I just wanted to highlight that because I think I think that, that those are the kind of things that have put TCU where they are. Yep. Yep. All right, so let's go ahead and get to another question here, uh, Daniel. My question's for you. What are you, what were you more surprised by? Jalen Rager only having three catches or Rondell Moore only having three catches? Because I think if you would have told me before the game, both these guys only have three catches, we would have thought this would have been a snore fest. Yeah, that's a, kind of a, an odd thing because I don't really know which one I'm more surprised at because you knew they were going to cover Rager because that's our hotshot receiver. And we knew – or. 
yeah, blah, blah, blah. We knew we were going to cover uh, more because that's that's their, you know, top players. So, uh, you know, I was expecting, you know, heavy coverage on both the guys, so they probably would be targeted less. And then I was expecting other receivers to kind of pick up the slack because they wouldn't be as covered and, you know, all the focus is on the, the big dogs. So I, I think really, though, based on the way the defense played, I'm kind of more surprised about Rager because the defense, I think, shut it down uh, really well. And, um, you know, there was a lot of times where the quarterback couldn't do anything, uh, much less <clears throat> make a completion to Rondell Moore. So I think I was a little more surprised that Rager only had three you know, I don't deny that uh, Rondell Moore is an amazing player, and when he's able to get the ball eight, nine, ten times, he's been targeted over 35 times in just the two previous games. He can make a difference when he gets the ball on his hands, and when they're able to, you know, kind of build a game plan around him that's going to, you know, swing the defense to uh, overreact to him and be able to break it the other way. But they just they just took him out of the game. He dropped that pass early in the game that he would have walked into the end zone with if he wouldn't have taken his eyes off the ball, but that that's on him. I don't want to hear about dropping, you know, that's just kind of what <laughs> there must be something in the water in West Lafayette. That said, I am surprised that, uh, that Rondell Moore only had three because they knew they had to feed him the upside of TCU. I think, I think this just kind of exposed the difference between these two programs. You take Rondell Moore, you take Jalen Rager out of the, out of the equation. You still have two NFL quality running backs that they're able to get the ball in the hands to hands up. You take Rondell Moore out of the game plan, they got nothing. You know, both teams were starting freshman quarterbacks that were inexperienced, but you take Rondell Moore out, they don't have anything, and they they kind of showed it. So I, I'm gonna go. I think it's uh, surprising that Rondell Moore didn't get more targets, get more catches, because without him, they are they are hapless. You take that touchdown off the board that they have they picked up during scrub time. I mean, they just. They didn't do anything in the second half, and the TCU defense brought the hammer. Yeah, the linebackers and safeties were tremendous in that game. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about the defense here in a second, but you know, we got to we got to say names like uh, Stewart and D. Winters. Those guys, true freshmen, and they are excelling on the road. Yeah, to, to think that those guys are going to be lining up on the TCU defense for the next four years is really, really exciting. If you're a TCU Frog fan. All right, Daniel, one more question for you. Uh, you know, when you, we've asked a lot of questions on this show, questions to one another, we answer listener questions. But what do you, uh, what questions did this game answer for you? If you had questions going into this game, what's one question you feel like you actually have an answer for now after watching TCUB Purdue 34-13? I, the question I had was, how will the quarterbacks improve over two weeks and now – I know, not a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) That that is honest right there. We are going to break down quarterback play here in a second. But yeah, how much improvement did we see? Uh, Not a whole lot. They clearly were not worried. They were they were worried about stopping the run. They weren't worried about stopping the the pass. We would go ahead and help them stop the pass with the guy the, the way that the ball was thrown or the way that the receivers would respond. Yeah, I don't feel like we know anything more about – I mean, we know more about quarterback play, but that said, I think you're probably on to something there. Let's shift over to quarterback conversation. Jeremy, take it from here. 
how do you summarize the quarterback situation right now? I know Coach Patterson had some statements about it after the game. I know that um, I, I know this is hard to believe, but some people on message boards and Twitter and Facebook have a lot of thoughts about this. But in your professional journalistic opinion, what's the situation of the quarterback? What's the what's the status of the quarterback situation right now? Well, let me preface this again by saying what you just said. Coach Patterson had some thoughts. He he said after the game that neither quarterback sees the job. But I will say, just from watching one of the 50,000 armchair quarterbacks that we have out there, it, it was obvious to see that they were riding or dying with Max last night. And out of the 14 possessions TCU had, he was in there on 11. Alex didn't even get a snap in the second half. So what's that tell you? Uh, I think this is one of those games where they wanted to see what the young freshman can do. He didn't throw the ball well. Now, based off me watching Alex and Max, if you're just counting on throws, neither one of them look good. Uh, And I think if everyone's being honest with themselves, they would say the same thing. And I will say that there was more drops. That's, that's a, now you guys understand why we were talking about Alex and his drops in the first week. Max had a ton of drops last night from his receivers. He gets five of those drops. We're talking about a stat line of around 12 of 18. But the passes he missed, he missed by a long shot. And that's something that he's got to get better at. Andy Dalton wasn't perfect as a redshirt freshman. And the one thing that Andy did as a redshirt freshman compared to what Max is doing as a true freshman, Andy was throwing it to the other team a lot. And that's something Max hasn't done yet. Max has overall made pretty good decisions. Everyone knows the talent that he has. The one thing that I was most impressed with him last night is you're sitting there watching him and you you forget that he's an 18-year-old kid and a true freshman playing at a Power 5 school and playing on the road in front of a pretty rowdy record, crowd. I mean, record a, crowd. Yeah, record that's a record crowd, crowd. For, for a, a non-Big 10 school. And – that was pretty impressive. I mean, he commanded the – I mean, they don't huddle, but he commanded the offense. And that was the most impressive thing to me. He just looks so poised out there. He doesn't look like he's getting rattled over anything. We all know that he, he's probably got back on campus today and went out throwing the football. That's that's probably – he's probably working so hard to improve. What I would say is pretty much what everyone else is saying. He doesn't have to throw a fastball every play. But those plays that are hitting the receiver's hands – that's why they're in college, guys. They they should be able to make those plays where there are balls thrown a little bit behind. If it hits your hands, you're playing at a P5 level. You got to make that catch. You got to make those tough catches. They're not always going to be right between the numbers, and you've got to be able to adjust to those plays. But I thought overall that Max, if I if you know, I looked at the uh, the the replay today and I graded the offense. I'm still going to grade the defense, but I think I gave them a C minus. And the C minus was basically because there was a there was a lot of throws that were dropped, but there were also a lot of missed throws that throw that he airmailed to Jalen. That's a touchdown if he puts touch on it and just lets Jalen run under it. And the the decision making from Alex Delton in that first series that was a horrible decision to try to to try to get it in there to Dylan Thomas, which was ultimately intercepted. But I I gotta say moving forward. If we don't see Max starting at SMU, then I, I don't know what kind of mind games they're trying to play if, if they are. But it, it was pretty obvious to see that 
Max is going to be the guy going forward. And if there's going to be any kind of rotation, it's going to be Max getting the first one or two series now and Alex coming in. That's just my personal opinion. And I honestly think that's the way it should be. Max has a higher ceiling. And uh, the one thing that you wanted to see from a young quarterback, can he go on the road and can he manage a a ball game? He can. He's got to fix some minor things, but he didn't turn over the ball. They scored 34 points, and they won on the road in front of over 60,000 fans. So you've, you've got to put those checks next to his name when you're considering if he's good enough to lead this team. You know, I know that they can talk about mind games, and if I'm telling you, I'm telling somebody else. Who is SMU compa- preparing for this week on defense? They're, Alex Delton or Max Duggan? Max Duggan, 100%. There you go. That's all they're thinking about. Sonny, Sonny Dykes isn't sitting over there saying, let's do three hours of tape on Alex Duggan or on Alex Delton. It's all on Max and it's all on how to stop that run game. So we will, uh, we will see how all that breaks down. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I thought they both played poorly. It, or I guess the better way to put it is when Max was off, he was off, but he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't, he didn't throw any interceptions. He did have those drops. Wide receivers dropped him for Alex week one. They dropped him for Max on week two. That If you can't catch the ball, just get that guy on the bench. I mean, I, we're going to talk about that in a second. But if you can't catch the ball, you're, all you're, there's no reason for you to be out there. There's no reason for you to be out there. I know we're going to get Tay Barber back. I know hopefully we're going to get Barkley back you know, in the next week or two. That said, uh, Max, this is Max's team. He's going to be the one that's going to lead lead us forward into the into Big Twelve play. He's probably going to, he's going to take the vast majority of the snaps against SMU. He will not take much less than he had unless the the game situation dictates it. So you got to you got to you got to give credit to Max. He did what he, what was asked of him, which was go on the road and win. And he went on the road and he won and he won by three touchdowns yeah. against the Big Ten team that's going to go to a bowl game. So that's a pretty good that's a pretty good standard to set. That's I've been trying to think of what a comparable is to Purdue. And I think it's a, it's a little more educated Texas Tech. You know, they're not going to win. You know, I don't want to be silly about it, but they're they're not throwing water bottles on. They're not throwing water bottles and rocks and batteries and all that kind of crap. But they they do love their team, and it's yeah. kind of in the middle of nowhere. And they're a good team. It's a it's a quality win, but nobody thinks they're going to you know win the Big Ten. But that's a good win, and they were able to get it. And uh, I say good for Max because he's going to be leading this team going forward. The the two plays I really liked from Max last night was two plays that should have been catches. And one of them was when he avoided the rush, the pocket collapsed on him and he rolled left. But he does such a, that's one thing that it took nearly two years for Trevon Boykin to develop. If you watch the beginning of uh, Boykin's career, when he got rushed out of the pocket, that dude was running. He was, he was like Forrest Gump. He was running. He was, he did not keep his eyes downfield. He didn't do anything. Max, it, with, with Boykin, it took him to about his junior year to, to learn if the pocket collapses, I can still keep my eyes downfield and find a receiver. That's something that Max does naturally. It's it, You could tell in that aspect he, he comes from a football family that he is a coach's son because when he rolls the pocket, he does a very good job of keeping his eyes downfield and making plays, and that's something that he did last night. He The pocket collapsed, he rolled left, and then he threw to Darius Davison. It's a low ball. But you got to make that catch. It hits your chest. You've got to make that catch. And then the other play was when he stepped up in the po- in the pocket and he threw an absolute bullet to to Valence Hunt. And I mean, you could literally see the smoke coming from behind the football on that pass. I mean, it was tremendous. And and 
it was a great pass on a, on a big third down and, and hunt dropped it. And those are the kind of plays that if your quarterback is making those plays for your offense as receivers, if you're, if you're tasked to catch the ball, or even if you're running back, you've got to, you got to finish those plays. If they've got a quarterback that can make those type of plays, then you've got something special. So you've, you've got to be able to help them out just a little bit. They got to help out Max just a little bit going forward. And luckily it looks like they're going to be able to, you know, continue to gel that chemistry going forward. So I guess I would ask you, Jeremy, what, what do you, how do you evaluate this transition? Because I think August 1st, most of us kind of knew, Hey, Max Duggan is going to, is going to end up getting significant snaps this season. I don't think anybody quite knew when or where we had all said by Iowa state, we need to, we need to have a quarterback that can lead us on the road to Ames. But how do you evaluate the way that the staff has uh, handled this transition and kind of brought Max in slowly in the hopes of getting the, his his confidence behind him? Well, this is what I've been saying all along, that this was going to be uh, starting out with Alex, and then hopefully you get flashes from Max that proves that he can do the things he needs to do to be the starting quarterback. I don't think there was any ever a time where they didn't think that Max could play. And there was even a time where I was telling you guys over the offseason – that Max has a chance to start. And then everyone was still talking about, you know, how's he going to beat out Justin? How's he going to beat out Mike Collins? And and really it's been ever since January when, when he really shined in spring camp, once he got on campus in January and then he went through spring camp, when he started really making a great impression that people started to realize that, Hey, there's a, there's a possibility that there's, there's a true freshman starting a quarterback. And I, I think I even told you guys that even, even during spring camp, there was people already saying then that Max was better than Alex and that he was, he was really good. And I think with coach Patterson, it just took a little bit of that trust level. Uh, you, you have a guy like Alex Delton coming in, he's a fifth year senior and he's got a lot of experience. He's played in the big games and he's done enough to where he hasn't completely separated himself from Max so you give him the start, but you know what you have in Max. They all know what they have in Max. The whole program knows what they have in Max, but you don't want to send them out there to the wolves immediately. So you got to, you got to bring them in. And, and even in big 12 media days, when, when I was asking coach Patterson about Brock Purdy and if the success Brock had last year as a true freshman helps him make the decision, knowing that a younger player could have success in the big 12. And he said, yeah, but, they they kind of waited a little bit, so that kind of told me then that they may they were going to wait a little bit before unleashing Max. And if if you don't think he's going to play more, then get your head out of the sand because he he's going to be the guy. That the thing that was just speaking volumes to me uh, on Saturday was the fact that Alex didn't even get a snap in the second half. It was the Max Duggan show. There was nothing wrong with Alex. He could have came in any time and played but they were riding or dying with Max. And I, I think that's the way this has been. The, this has been the plan all along. Kelly Bryant at Clemson, give it to Trevor Lawrence. They all knew what they had at Trevor Lawrence with Clemson. He led them to a national championship. I'm not saying Max is going to lead TCU to a national championship, but I think in, in, in everyone's mind that they feel that Max can get the job done just as well as Alex can do it. And, the proof is in the pudding. Now he went up to Purdue. They got the win, didn't turn the ball over, and he played in front of a big rowdy crowd. 
you know, as you're saying that, I'm reflecting on the best years that TCU has had in the Big 12. And what do they all have in common? 2014, Trevon Boykin's fourth year in the program. 2015, his fifth year in the program. 2017, the Frogs go to the Big 12 title game. Uh, Kenny Hill is a fifth-year senior. So, I mean, he Gary Patterson has, you know, Andy Dalton, Fiesta Bowl, Rose Bowl, fourth year in the program, fifth year in the program. He thrives on experienced quarterbacks that yes. has earned that have earned his trust. And so I, I understand why I understand his 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 expe- his why his experience makes him hesitant to do this. But the idea that that Max is is more talented in terms of raw material from when he got on campus with preparation to be uh, ahead of where Andy Dalton was, to be ahead of where Jerron Boykin was, that should give Frog fans uh, a reason to be excited. Yeah. Max is going to make mistakes, and the SMU game kind of scares me because for whatever reason, SMU – and their defense has has had success against TCU quarterbacks, and he's probably going to throw his first interception against SMU. Uh, I, I will get that out of the way, but I, I think he's more than capable of, of leading them to a win. And I think even though he airmailed some of those passes, teams are going to very much respect his arm strength, and they're going to know that they just can't stack the box with eight or nine defenders to stop the run because they know Max – let me tell you this, Sonny Dykes was part of TCU staff when they were recruiting Max, and he's he's seen him up close. He knows exactly what Max has. Uh, the couple other coaches over at SMU staff, they know what Max has, so they're they're going to be preparing for, for him, and they're not going to sell out on just trying to stop the run, I can promise you. Hey, at least this SMU game isn't on a Friday night in a rainstorm in front of 47 people. Exactly right. So, but kind of have that going for them. They kind of have that. Going I think for the them. crowd's going to be really good. It, it sucks that it's going to be at two thirty, but I think that's all right. People it's, will come out because SMU's yeah. got, you know, they've got a lot of hype behind them, and and TCU obviously is undefeated, and and now they get to come out and watch a true freshman quarterback. So I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, reasons to go out there and watch on Saturday. Did you see uh, President Bush went and was at the SMU Texas State game? No, no, I did. They, in fact, I heard that. The SMU invited President Bush because when you count the Secret Service, it doubled their attendance. <laughs> that was a long way to set up a really bad joke. <laughs> Have they broke 10,000 yet? I don't know. I don't know. What that play for? That, that was a legitimate question, Daniel. And you're playing that on mine? Yes, you are. You, you got. He didn't play it on mine. Mine was bad. I, my, that was a... That was a long on-ramp in order to make a really lame it joke. Was, it was for both. It was uh, a bad joke, and then it's for SMU just because they're sad. It's SMU. Yeah. The yeah. sad ponies. Yep, yeah, my little ponies. All right, Daniel, First, next question is for you. Purdue game, defensive MVP, who do you have and why? Garrett Wallow, because he brought the pain like I predicted in the prediction story. Yeah, you did. I did. And and I think that's one of very few things I got right this week. So I wanted to point that out. When I saw that answer on that question that, that you sent back to me, I thought you were making a purple pain reference. Then I had to read no. the I had to read the uh answer again just just to clear my mind. But you nailed it, dude. Yeah. You nailed it with Garrett Wallow. And he nailed them. It was great. 
Yeah, hard to argue with that. Garrett Wallow had a heck of a game. Man, when he when he was on that uh, blitz and was able to uh, read the running back stepping out into uh, to, to, to chip, and then he went straight for the quarterback, that was a beautiful sack. Jeremy, who do you have as the offensive MVP and why? Offensive, Darius. Darius is pretty mm. easy for me. And he, like I said earlier, he he was running like I've never seen him run before. It's kind of like how he ran as a senior at George Ranch when he got on the radar of all these schools that were recruiting him: TCU, Alabama, A and M, all these big schools that wanted a chance to get him. And and man, he's he's really running hard right now. Yeah, Darius had himself a heck of a game. I'm going to go ahead and give honorable mention to Ross Blacklock on defense on the defensive side of the ball. Man, when he was just man up on the center, he was pistol whipping that guy. When they go oh, to the three man front and that center had to take care of him, ooh, Nelly, that guy is just going to whoop some people. I remember one time I'm like, I'm just going to watch him pre snap and see what he does. They were in three man front. He he basically bull rushed the center, knocked him down, went and sacked the quarterback, and I'm like. Keep doing that, Ross. So, <laughs> defensive side of the ball, it's hard to argue with Ross Blacklock. On the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Lucas Niang. He really had a great game in terms of the way that he was using his hands, setting the edge, knowing what he was doing. I, I was a big fan of Lucas Niang. The whole offensive line really should yeah. kind of get some honorary mention for defense for for MVP. You know, I was an offensive lineman in high school. I wasn't big, but I, at least I was slow. And every, my coach used to always harp on, every time your running back scores, you need to go thank your offensive linemen because they're the one that made it happen. And Saturday night was a testimony to that because that whole offensive line was doing their job. Yeah, they were they were tremendous. And I will say on, on defense, co-MVP for me would be D. Winters. D. Winters had a heck of a mm. game. Yep. Yeah, D. Winters. And Stewart, it's really hard to argue with what he did. I mean, he got burnt once, but he had he had more than a few plays where he was just covering up on Rondell Moore. He had a pass breakup. He, he played well on, 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 on the run game coming up uh, from corner to be able to stop that. I, I, I've watched him grow up in two games, and he's going to be a significant contributor for his entire time here at TCU. Uh, one of the questions I'm going to get, I'll go ahead and ask it now from our listener question, Jeremy. Is he going to take Julius Lewis's spot when Lewis gets back and no, healthy? I don't think so. Uh, he he has earned himself to get more playing time if if Julius Lewis needs to take a break or anything like that. But you've you've still got a really really good player in Julius Lewis that's coming back, and you, you've got to think, yeah, Stewart played really good against uh, Pine Bluff and Purdue, but he's also given up two of the longer plays. <laughs> Uh, TCU's given up this year. The two longest plays they've given up have both been against Stewart. And I think if you had Julius in there, those plays wouldn't happen. So you, you do, you do appreciate how good he's playing as a true freshman, but let's, let's not discount the fact that Julius Lewis is also a very, very good corner. And in some regards, some people think that he's one of the top five corners in the big 12. And if you look at pro football focus last year, uh, completion percentage wise, he only allowed, I can't remember the exact number, but let's just say the only guy that was in front of him in the entire Big 12 in that category was Jeff Gladney. So you, you, you're you not going to sit an all-conference type cornerback on the sideline if he's healthy and ready to go uh, just because your true freshman's played good a couple games. Sounds good. Anything else from the TCU-Purdue game before we uh, kind of dance around the rest of the Big 12? Anything else from this game you guys want to lift up, talk about? I will say Jonathan Song is seven of seven this year. Now that forty-yard field goal right down the middle, right down uh, the middle. Griffin Kell 
did a fantastic job on on kickoffs and the kickoff coverage team was tremendous. Jordan Sandy had a stinking great game. The the punt coverage team was also incredible. They downed a few balls, I think three balls inside the ten, and I think all of them were actually inside the five. It was it was just a perfect storm for the defense, the way Jordan Sandy pinned them deep, not to mention the fact that you had a quarterback starting for the very first time in his career trying to go against the Gary Patterson. I mean, it looked like Purdue was going in slow motion and TCU's defense was in, in, in speed up mode. So that's, that's how bad it looked for uh, Purdue offensively, but you can't, you can't talk about the game without mentioning the special teams and, and how good they looked. And even Jalen had a punt return for a touchdown, but, stinking holding penalty calls it back. But overall, I think someone mentioned it on the board today, and I, I couldn't agree more that there's going to be a game this year where special teams is going to be the difference. And I think right now through the first two games, TCU fans have to be somewhat comfortable with where they're sitting at right now. I feel good about special teams. I, I, I love me some Jonathan Song. I think I think people have been unnecessarily hard on him. Uh, but I love Jonathan Song. He's done a great job so far this year. Yeah, Jordan Sandy has played, has punted really well. The coverage team is, uh, they've been able to make that combo work where we got a great kicker and a great cover team being able to stick them deep. That's that all that does is help the offense and all that does is ramp up the defense. You know, you mentioned they had a uh, sophomore, I mean, a, a redshirt freshman starting at quarterback. Uh, Jack, Jack the Snake Plumber, I guess that's what we would call him. <laughs> is he <laughs> in relation Snake to Plumber. Jake Plumber? He was not. They they no, said that a mul- multiple times. He was not related to Jake Plummer, although he was from Arizona. Yes. So that's what made me think. Oh, is he is he Jake Plummer? So are they just saying that? How would you like to be making your first start and you come up under center and the three people that you see in front of you are Blacklock, Bethley, and Garrett Wallow. <laughs> Bethley had a hell of a game too. Beth- Bethley had Bethley a heck have, of a game. He didn't have uh, the the sack and the stat columns, but. Man, he was given some serious quarterback pressure on a few plays, and and O'Shawn had a few good plays too, where he contained the edge really well. And the mm-hmm. the defensive line played a lot better. It was it's as crazy as it sounds. The defensive line played a lot better against Purdue than what they did against Pine Bluff. Oh, I agree. I think I don't think there's any denying that. I don't think there's any denying that. All right, let's look around the breast of the Big 12. A couple of games I wanted to highlight. You guys can kind of weigh in on one of them if you want. First of all, we got Kansas State that goes to Mississippi State and gets a win on the road in the SEC. The fighting less miles go to Boston College and are able to just run it up on the Eagles. I cannot believe that. The fighting less miles go up there and pour it on BC. West Virginia beats NC State at home. NC State team everybody kind of thought was going to a bowl game. A week ago, everybody thought West Virginia might actually be one of the the, the ninth worst team in the conference. They go and they take a Power 5 win. And then, of course, OU goes out to the Rose Bowl and just annihilates. I mean, it was like 21 to nothing before I flipped over to the channel 10 minutes into the game. OU destroys UCLA. Which one of those games kind of grabbed your attention, guys? And uh, what does that say about the state of the Big 12? Because those are some quality wins. Probably the most surprising game of all had to be Kansas. I mean, how the heck do you lose 10-7 to to Coastal Carolina and then beat a pretty respectable Boston College team, 48-24? to I mean, that's Twilight Zone stuff. I don't know how that happens. I don't either, but it was great television. I mean, they Les Miles on TV running it up. I mean, like he's just running it up on them. So I don't know how in the world that happened. I don't know what that says about Kansas, 
Coastal Carolina or Boston College, but Kansas kind of kicked off what was a terrible weekend for the ACC. I mean, it, that is the worst conference in the country that just happens to have the best team in the country. That is a trash conference. So you got Georgia Tech losing to the Citadel. I mean, that the ACC is looking really bad, not the least of which is Kansas going and getting that win on the road at, at BC. Daniel, K-State, West Virginia, OU, anything from any of those games that caught your eye? I was surprised with West Virginia. Um, it seemed like at the start of the year they were just going to be awful. And... And I guess <laughs> they were for a while. And then it, uh, you know, NC State's, you know, usually pretty respectable uh, group of five team. And, um, but they took care of business. I was, I mean, that's, that took me by surprise. Probably, no, not as much as Kansas, but yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Oklahoma, not surprised at all. I'm surprised that K-State is 3-0, and and I'm surprised that K-State went on the road to Starkville and got a W against Mississippi State because, you know, if Mississippi State went 8-4 and this year in the SEC West, every SEC homer would be like, well, that's like going 10-2 and in the Big Ten, or that's like going 11-1 and in the Big 12. They, they, they still might go 8-4. and They still might finish, you know, third or fourth in the SEC West. But all I know is that they got beat by K-State, and K-State did everything they could to give that game away. Did you guys see their quarterback on the last on their fourth down play where he dove about four <laughs> yards from the first down? I thought he jumped on a trampoline. I mean, he took off in the air, and then a guy from K State hit him and shot him further up in the air. That was I couldn't believe he got up and walked off the field. He had to be six or seven yards up in the air. That oh was insane. Gosh, yeah. That was insane. You can't you can't truly appreciate that play watching from the sideline camera. The angle that shows it from behind. Yes. Where he's where they're behind him and he gets hit. I showed my wife that that like you said, that guy had to go at least ten feet in the air. I mean, it was amazing how high he went in the air and how he got up and just walked away from it. I couldn't believe the play. That that's the highest I've ever it's the highest I've ever seen a football player get hit in my life. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. I'm he's lucky he got up and walked off the field. All right, one of the other games I wanted to lift up is UCF. They just boat raced Stanford, and it was the final score was 45-27, but it was not as close as the final score. It was 28-0 before you looked up, and UCF was just rolling over Stanford. And you can say, hey, maybe Stanford's not as good as they were in the years past. But it's really hard to argue that UCF is, uh, is a strong program. I don't want to start some silly conversation like, should they be in the Big 12? But – they are now ranked 12th or 13th, I believe. I think they're 12 in one poll and 13 in another. I just kind of want to say this, and I know some folks don't like hearing it. TCU was undefeated on their third year of a run like that, like 2010. They started the season in the top six. They started the season in the top five. So I just, I guess I feel bad for UCF fans because they literally do everything they can. They've got Pitt this week. They're going to annihilate Pitt. They're going to have back-to-back Power 5 wins, which is more Power 5 wins, or what what we used to call BCS wins, than TCU would have had in one season in 8, 9, or 10. So I got a little sympathy for the the Golden Knight, or the, the UCF Knight fans because I think that's a pretty salty program. And I think outside of maybe the top, seven or eight teams in the country, I think they could beat just about anybody. So and I'm kind of, I'm kind of borderline bandwagon UCF fan, to be totally honest. There, you're, you're like that because it, you're taking a trip down memory lane. Cause that is TCU. 
before they joined the Big 12, like the years you mentioned, 8, 9, yeah. and 10, where they were doing so well and they were in the BCS mix. And, and really, they were the, the Rose Bowl year, there was some thought that they easily could have played in the national championship. And I, I kind of feel that way, too. I, people are asking, man, that's surprising. Stanford, whatever you want to say about them, they could be having a down year. But that's still a David Shaw coach team. And David Shaw is mm-hmm. one of the best coaches in college football, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. UCF is really just out there doing what TCU did, you know, nine, ten years ago, is just proving to the masses that, hey, we don't give a care. Boise State's the same way. Boise State, uh, unfortunately, Boise State's still in the same position TCU was nine, ten years ago. But UCF is, is they're, they're, they're scheduling whoever will play them, and they're going to prove a message. To, they're going to prove a point that, they're a very good football team, and they deserve respect from around the country. The only thing I don't like about them is when they were claiming national championship. I don't think TCU fans would have ever done that, uh, even when they went undefeated. But they they do have a right to kind of stick their chest out a little bit and, and, and brag about how good their football team is because they really do have a good football team. And I think Josh Hopple's a pretty good coach, and I think they'll go undefeated, and we'll be talking about them come December. First, first week of December, where do they sit? Are they going to have a chance to go to the college football playoff? And it's going to be interesting because I, I don't see a team on their schedule that's going to beat them. Hey, I say good for them. They want to claim a national title. Who am I to stop them? I say good for them. I don't like it, but why not, man? It's college football. They don't have access. They're Division One, and they don't have access. I'm not saying that they should be in over a one-loss team, but I I just it's an, it's an inequitable system. And it's kind of a hypocritical system. But if you get in a spot where you go undefeated and you don't get a chance to play for the title, I say, you know, make some noise. Puff your chest out. There's not a dang thing wrong with that. All right, real quick, we've got uh, the Frogs is home as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against SMU. Jeremy, what do you expect to see in this game? The The Mustangs are 3-0 and for the first time since 1984. This is the best team that uh, they've had since they stopped paying players. What do you? What's your take on what the Frogs are going to see from the Mustangs and Sonny Dykes when he drives them over across I-30 this Saturday afternoon? Well, they've got a good quarterback, something that they didn't have the last few years because I, I always told everyone Ben Hicks was the reason why they weren't winning. Ben Hicks was terrible quarterback. And, and Chad Morris made that same mistake at Arkansas by starting Ben Hicks. They lost their first two games, and they automatically won this past weekend with Nick Starkle. But Shane Bouchelle is a, a better quarterback than, than what SMU's had in recent years. They've, they've got a, a good, experienced offensive line. They've got good running backs. Their defense is solid. And it, it's going to be a close game. I, I don't want to say this is going to be 2011 where SMU won an overtime 40-33, but this could be a game that could give TCU fans some heartburn. And it, it would not shock me at all if this is one of those games where TCU or SMU actually leads early on and TCU has to play some catch up. But it, it, it's not going to be a, a walk in the park. I'm kind of surprised by that spread right now. 13 and a half seems kind of high to me. Uh, I, I would I would have probably said 10 points, but it, it is going to be an interesting game and definitely a game that I hope TCU comes out and, and is ready to play. I wouldn't touch 13 and a half points. I don't know that I'd touch 10 and a half points. You know what this game actually, I think it could end up being like the 2015 game. You remember that Chad Morris's first year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it has the potential to look something like that. So it could, it could be much more of a dogfight than people want. And, um, 
what I will say, I don't know. what I will say is that this, if they go out and have a dominating, dominating win uh, against SMU, like they did Purdue, then that's more of a, a, an idea of how good this TCU football team can be because you're, you're battling SMU uh, at their best right now. And that's something that they didn't get a chance to do against Purdue. They didn't have their starting quarterback. They have no semblance of a run game. And SMU has those things. And if TCU somehow manages go out go out there and, and wins thirty five to fourteen, then it's going to be a, a pretty decent season for TCU. Yeah, I agree. I'll be. I think this is going to be one of those telltale signs of of where the season's going. And I don't think it's something that we expected in August. I thought, oh, you know, maybe SMU. They're probably two and one coming in. Maybe you know, maybe they're three and zero, oh, but only because of the schedule. They've they've really kind of asserted themselves these first three games of the year. And I say, I say good for them. So. I will, I will say this SMU <laughs> they've, they've played, they are three, no, but they haven't played anyone close uh, to as fast as what TCU is. And, and really it's one of those games you, you go back, you think to 2005, one week after TCU beat Oklahoma at SMU can catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, it, it can happen. TCU could could come out there and crap the bed and just play the worst game they've ever ever played. But it it will be by far the toughest test for SMU. So, but the one thing I will say is they've done what they're supposed to do. People expected them. I, I thought North Texas was a good win for them. I didn't think they would beat North yeah. Texas the way they did. But I expect, I didn't either. I expected them to be pretty competitive against Arkansas State and and obviously against Texas State. And they put up points like I expected them to, and and but this is going to be a much different ball game for them. And the good thing that I would say with TCU is they've played against a fast, athletic team in Purdue, and played against arguably one of the top five receivers in the country, and and pretty much shut them down. So they they have a little bit more uh, experience in, in that regard. All right, let's go ahead and switch to listener questions here. But uh, before we do that, we want to thank our sponsor, Teen Life, a great organization that goes out of its way to support junior high and high school students. They're right here in DFW, but they got opportunities to serve students all across this country. Want to encourage you to go make a nonprofit donation, tax deductible donation to this amazing nonprofit at teenlife.ngo. There you're going to find opportunities to give, to serve, to offer your time, to invest in the lives of junior high and high school students, helping them take responsibility for their life. Go to teenlife.ngo so you can find out more ways that you can invest in yourself into this community and encourage young students so that they can make wise choices and take responsibility for their life. All right, we're going to do rapid fire here. Just try to keep it to a sentence or two. Daniel, I'm going to start this question from you. You're going to get a lot of the Twitter questions. Jeremy, you're going to get a lot of questions from the board. Daniel, first questions from you from our friend Yell MK. Rondell Moore is not only overrated, he's the worst college football player I have ever watched in my life on the Big Ten Network, and I'm sticking to that. True or false? True. True. All right, I agree. From our friend Damon Damon, uh, Damon Hickman. Does the Big Ten Network even count as a network if no one can find it and watch it in the state of Texas? True or false? Oh, is that me too? Yeah, that's you too. No, that's totally true. Totally true. Did you guys get the Big Ten Network? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I okay. Got it. Okay, I bought YouTube TV for on a three-day trial and then dropped it this afternoon. So that's how I did it. I didn't use anybody's secret password. So uh, that's true. Uh Daniel, is Kansas back? Yes or no? 
Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Colin, for that question. Uh, our friend Wolf Tron asks, is it wrong for me to have wanted the Frogs to not throw a single pass and go ahead and win anyway? Because I totally would have been cool with that. Sure. Sure. I'm with you on that as well. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you on that as well. Here's a good question. This is more, more less of a question, more of an observation. Our friend Kenny Wittenberg says, game summary, time of possession, TCU, 40 minutes, 33 seconds. Purdue, 19 minutes, 27 seconds. Every member of the night of the 2019 Frogs to graduate in 2019 or, tw- or 2020 will automatically be commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Navy. <laughs> I guess that is a, a comment on time of possession compared to Navy. Uh, Navy. Uh, Trader Frog wants to know why we punt on the opponent's 32. I say to control field position. I'll just answer that one. Uh, we have a very condescending question that I won't answer here. And then here's a great one from our friend, not deaf, not Chuck, who writes for a Texas A&M blog, but he's a good guy. Daniel, what liquor would you choose if the mixer was six ounces of Gary Patterson's t-shirt sweat? Good Lord. <laughs> uh, the, who, who's the guy screening these questions? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's Jeremiah Glenn. No, I think that's who okay. that is. Okay, huh. <laughs> that was kind of disgusting, but I, it was kind of funny. I mean, I don't I don't actually think those jokes are funny, but I actually got a kick out of those guys saying that. All right, Jeremy, we're going to go over to you here. Listener questions: Are you ready? Go for it. Do we have the ro- hardest road schedule in the Big Twelve this year in conference at OU, at OSU, at K State, and at Iowa State? Yes. Okay, I, I kind of agree with that. We get, we kind of flips every other year where we get everybody we want at home, and then we have to flip it back the other way. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, if you graded uh, true freshman quarterbacks on the quote Purdy scale, with Purdy being an A last year, how would you grade Delton against Purdue? C minus. C minus. Okay. Jeremy, why have these drops been an issue? Is it something you heard about during camp, or is this popped up during the games? No, I mean we. <laughs> Again, we heard how good the receivers were catching the football during fall camp, and that was one of the things that was impressing Coach Patterson. And 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 really, I heard the same thing. I was like the receivers are every everyone's gelling together. Um, I I I can't tell you. I I can't give you a reason. I, it, it obviously is happening in the games, but those those receivers just got to do a better job catching the football. There's there's I mean I guess go out there and put them in front of a machine and make them catch hundred passes every day before they go to the locker room. I, I don't know how you fix it. Got to grow them up. Got to grow them up. Jeremy, how do you feel about this headline? Song TCU's unsung hero. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Might use Beautiful. it one day. That's right. That would be great. Uh, from practices that you've seen or heard, does Max have touch or does it need to be developed? Is he just juiced up with it being his first few college games or is this an issue? I think it's, I think it's being juiced up, maybe that adrenaline. Because I, I went and saw him last year against in high school uh, up at Council Bluffs, and he knows how to put touch on the ball. He's just got a he's got a really strong arm, and when you have that adrenaline going in you, and uh, you've got a strong arm, sometimes that sometimes that is a a bad mix. Uh, but but I know he knows how to put touch on the ball, and obviously he did it at the game I saw, and then he did it last last summer. Uh, before his senior year, he came down to the camp and 
he was he was throwing the football really good, and, and there's no question that the kid just he has a cannon for an arm. Uh, but he's just got to learn to develop a little bit better in those game situations. Does this have the potential to be TCU's greatest defense under Gary Patterson? <laughs> so far, they're doing pretty good. I mean, the only there's really only two plays that you can look at that they've been scored on touchdown-wise, and, and it's come against a true freshman. Uh I don't count the Pine Bluff scored on a one yard touchdown run, but they got down there based off a 37 yard pass against Keon mm-hmm. Stewart. So if, if, like I said earlier, if you had Julius Lewis out there, I don't think those two plays happen. And you might be talking about a shutout against Pine Bluff and, and really holding Purdue to just six points. So it, it has the potential. I let, let me get, let me get in uh, after this week. I want to see what they do against Shane Bouchelle. He's got pretty good arm. He's, uh, older kid, he's going to make good decisions. He's not going to put SMU into bad situations. So let's just see how they they act against SMU. If they go out and allow SMU to score thirty points, then it's going to sound real silly if I come out tonight and say TCU mm-hmm. has one of the best defenses I've ever seen. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great way to look at it. I think this is another measuring stick. This is another measuring stick. Uh, what did you think of the tight end usage in this game, Jeremy? I didn't mind it. Uh, they they targeted Pro Wells uh, a couple times, and 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 really, I, I actually someone said it was a bad call to go to him in the corner in the end zone. I thought it was actually a pretty good call because people don't expect that when they play TCU. And if 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 that ball is just a little bit uh, maybe thrown a little bit sooner, he might have had a chance to come down in bounds with it. But Pro actually made a pretty good catch on that play, but. I think you'll see that developed more and more. Uh, I, I know people don't like the the way TCU uses their tight ends, but they have to have guys that can go out there and create separation and catch the football and, and make those type plays. And right now, the, the best tight end they have is Carter Ware, and he's done a pretty dang good job blocking. I mean, he was extremely physical against Purdue on Saturday. So if you got a tight end that's blocking like that and helping your run game, they're probably going to go with him a little bit more than they are with pro and Artavius right now. Do you expect Barber and Barkley back for the SMU game? I was kind of surprised Barber wasn't actually, I was kind of surprised both of them weren't back because Gary said on Tuesday that both of them had a great chance to both be playing. And I, I would hope that, Barber is back because man, they are just missing him like crazy. Uh, not being able to go out there because if you look at last year, you're you're talking about Jalen led the team in receiving. Tay Barber was your second lead receiver, and the the mm-hmm. week that Cavante Turpin got released from the team, Barber had a heck of a game against Kansas. I think he had like five catches for seventy five yards. So he's got that capability, and and really from spring camp and fall camp. Who'd you hear Gary talk about at receiver the most? It was Tay Barber. So, and we all saw the video of him beating Vernon Scott pretty good on that little one-on-one in the end zone that got deleted about 30 minutes after the fact. But it mm-hmm. he he has that kind of talent, and and I hope at least for for the offense's sake and for Max's sake that Barber's going to be back out there. You said that there might have been a commitment or someone uh, flipping. Is that mysterious Twitter announcement still happening? Do you have any update on that? Recruiting interest, it's kind of yeah. kind of down right now with the season going on. What do you, what update do you have on us for us on that? 
yeah, that they have, they have to, they're, they're waiting a little bit. Um, it, it's going to be one of those situations where I, I don't think the kid's going to come out right now. He, he's probably going to let the season die down a little bit before he comes out and says it. Um, but it, it is still very much, uh, in the process of happening and, and it'll be good news for TCU fans. Uh, I, I think this week you'll start to see recruits on, on campus for the game. I think James Sylvester is supposed to be up uh, in town for an official visit this week against SMU. So uh, it, it'll start to get there. There'll be a little bit more recruiting interest peaking here with some of these better home games coming up. Cool. All right, let's get to some predictions. Are you guys ready to put your reputation on the line and stand by one of the three predictions that you'll make for each game this week like Daniel and I did? So I'm ready to roll if you guys are. You want to recap what the records were last last week? Not really. You know, not really. I was going to say, let's just get to this week. I'm a kind of I'm kind of a future-oriented guy, not looking to the past. So you don't want to talk <laughs> about your 5-1 record? I want to know who picked uh, – I want to know who picked Purdue. Who was that, Jeremy? On the broadcast, it was our very own Daniel Southern. That's what I thought because I I distinctly I distinctly remember going five and one in my picks this last week. You and I both, my friend. But it, yeah. you know when when we did the bold prediction story, Daniel sent me a revised prediction, and he picked he did pick TCU. Yeah, so, I changed my mind. I yeah, changed so, my mind. So Daniel, you were either one and five. Or you were two and four. I'm pretty so sure we, I was two and four. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> so it's still bad. So that makes we we've got we've got ten ten games that we've picked now. So I'm I'm yes. sitting here at a nice I think I'm at a nice nine and one. Ooh. And Jeff, I think you you went two and two. You're seven and I three. Did. And then Daniel, okay. Daniel is five and five. All right. Well, I, I won't argue with that. I can live with that. I'm going to catch you. And the problem is we do this on Sunday night, and I don't have as much access to the spread as other teams. Uh, you know, the I used Yahoo, and they don't update the spread too quickly. Well, USC so. barely beat the spread, too. Ooh. They barely they got beat, beat by it. BYU beat. Beat USC. Yeah, we picked it, but that was the game that had the four and a half spread for USC. Oh, that's right. So I lost that game. Oh, now we're talking. Sweet oil. Oh, wait, I was four and two because I lost the Kansas State and Mississippi State. So I'm yeah. Who picked? I, I am who picked Mississippi two. State? You who did. picked Mississippi State? You did. That's so right. I'm, I did. I'm eight and two right now. Okay. Overall. All right. Well, let's get down to some picks here. All right, we're going to start with you, Daniel. Texas is hosting Oklahoma State. Who do you have in that game? Texas. Jeremy? All right. I'm going to – he's clearly um, flaking out there. I'm going to go ahead and let it be known that I am going to go ahead and take the Texas Longhorns. So I'm going to go ahead and take Texas. Who's flaking out? Uh, you are. Oh. I couldn't hear you. Oh, I lost sound for a second. Who? What'd you ask? Hey, no me? problem. Azel All right, internet. Oklahoma. Yeah, I know that Azel Internet. Yeah. Uh, we've got Oklahoma State traveling to Texas. Who do you have? Uh, give me Texas. Okay, Jeremy. West Virginia 
is traveling to Kansas and what we none of us thought would be a barn burner. Who do you have in the Mountaineers and the Jayhawks? Give me KU. Daniel? I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Give me West Virginia. Sorry. All right. Jeremy's going West Virginia. You got to stand by it. Daniel? Uh, I'll take Kansas. Let's let's see what the hat has uh, up his hat. Yes. <laughs> Give me the fighting less miles. I'll go ahead and go with the hat. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Kansas. They're going to go on a two-game winning streak, and everyone will know that the apocalypse is very, very near. Who'd y'all pick for Oklahoma State and Texas, by the way? I, I had. No I picked sound. Texas. I had Texas. Texas. Pick, oh, so we're all consensus Texas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're all on Texas. All right, let's go with a game that's going to have a lot of anxiety. If they lose it, they're probably going to fire their coach. USC in Utah, or ho- uh, USC is hosting Utah. Uh, Jeremy, who do you have with the Utes and the Trojans? Utah by a mile. Daniel? Yeah, Utah U- by a mile. Utah. All right, give me USC. I'm going to be the contrarian here. Give me USC. Uh, two more games here. Well, uh, let's let's get a little creative and go off the grid here. Here is a game that we that is going to be the greatest culture clash in college football history. Cal Berkeley is traveling to Oxford, Mississippi to take on Old Miss. And when you think about one fan base that's different than the other, this is this is kind of peak contrast. Jeremy, who do you have with Cal and that Jeremy Wilcox defense traveling down to the heart of the Deep South taking on Old Miss? Who do you have winning that game? Give me Cal. Daniel? What did Old Miss do this weekend? Uh, they beat Southeast Louisiana. <laughs> That doesn't help. Cal's <laughs> undefeated right now. Cal Very is good. undefeated. Twenty fifth. They're ranked ahead of TCU, even though we have the Cheez-It Bowl win over them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go, Cal. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go with Cal as well. And then the one I've kind of got my eye on, Auburn is traveling to the scenic sweet sounds of Kyle Field in College Station. Auburn going to Aggie. Daniel, who do you have? Mm, man. Uh, War Eagle. War Eagle. Jeremy? Give me the Aggies. Give me the Auburn Tigers. Tigers. War Eagle. I think the, I think Auburn's going to win that game, and I think A&M is going to pay the price for that heavy schedule that they paid, played. So, Oh, what a, let's go one more game here. We can't one more game. Notre Dame traveling to Georgia, number three against number seven. Jeremy, who do you have? Uga. Uga. You got you got the Georgia Bulldogs. Jeremy or Daniel, who do you have? Yeah, let's go Georgia. Notre Dame. Whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and go with Georgia as well. I gotta work up I gotta work a little more on this. I gotta find a way to get the spread updated on my phone as soon as I get it. So those of you that specialize in European websites, go ahead and send those to me on Twitter. I would love to know more about that. Although we kind of have our resident uh, kind of Jimmy the Greek without the prejudice in Daniel. So he knows a whole lot more about gambling than we do. So maybe I can get him to work on that all the good information we get when he hits that stop record button. Oh, Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, it comes down to shoelace brand, um, the humidity and the grass, uh, the toothpaste that the players use that morning. It's a, it, you've got to factor it all in. Do you, do you factor in visiting team locker rooms that don't have air conditioning when it's 97 degrees outside? 
Well, I would, except I give the benefit of the doubt because how, how big of a piece of trash do you have to be to do something like that? So I, I haven't actually factored in that variable, but I think I'm going to have to, at least in certain situations. I don't think, I don't think, te- I, I think LSU is embellishing that story. I know, how, oh, I, I know too. how Chris Del Conny is and that guy cares about what people think. And mm-hmm. the fact that TCU has one of the nicest visiting locker rooms in America that was constructed during his watch tells me all I need to know about how he treats the visitors. I think that, mm-hmm. I think that story from LSU is a bunch of bunch of made up stuff. I do too. I think it's hogwash. I think it's hogwash. I love that they did a Freedom of Information Act on the air conditioner settings in the visitor locker room. I thought that was pretty great. So they uh, they confirmed that Texas had the air down. It was between sixty uh, sixty eight and seventy two the for from three until eleven. So. That's all I kind of need to know. I, I think I think Texas is shady, but I don't think they're turning the air conditioner off. I, for I think players. the air was probably on. They're just all hot from the crawfish boils and giant <laughs> giant vats of corn dog dipping, and <laughs> so it, every day is the state fair in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, it's you know you, you don't need the. It's like in a, in a kitchen, you don't need the heat during the winter time because you're cooking. It's like that. That's right. Well, folks, we're going to bring this hey, wait, show wait, to wait, an wait. end. You're, missing, oh, you're what? missing one game. Oh, that's true. We've gone an hour and ten minutes. I guess I should go ahead and uh, get the last episode or get the last pick in. All right, so we can do this one on the spread because I know this one. Thirteen and a half points. Jeremy, TCU or oh, SMU? You're doing this on the spread. I, I am doing it on the spread. It's the only one I have it on. I've looked Man. and looked. I couldn't find it. Uh, I yeah, think TCU absolutely. covers. Give me TCU. You think TCU cover? TCU covers thirteen and a half. Yep. Jer- or Daniel? SMU. Oh, you think SMU covers the 13 and a half? Does TCU win the game? Yeah, I think it's, I think they win by, mm, Jonathan Song bails them out with two field goals. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and take TCU to cover, but it's only going to be like 14, 15 points. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Frogs to cover in what will be a hard-fought victory. So, give me the frogs. You writing all this down, Jeremy? Yeah, I did. All right, good. The winner gets Heim Barbecue bought for them by the other two. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Well, we want to thank you for listening to this show. We've gone an hour and ten minutes tonight. We really appreciate you taking the time to go all the way through. As the show goes on, the better it gets. So if you haven't yet, please go and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. And if you subscribe on the uh, podcast app of your choice, this will show up in your podcast feed every Monday morning. Easy way for you to keep up with what's going on inside of this program. Also, we want to encourage you to go to hornfrogblitz.com, and you can get a subscription today to find a way to stay connected to everything that's going on inside the program. Recruiting, injury updates, stuff that we have great sources for. Jeremy's got all the latest articles that you can only find there at hornfrogblitz.com at TCU 24-7 Sports. And so for Jeremy Clark and for Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.